As I thought of our journey towards Easter, um, I thought I would take the theme of redemption, just to prepare our hearts that suddenly we don't just come to Easter Good Friday and Easter Sunday and, or Palm Sunday before that, and suddenly Easter's here. It's such a, a, an important part of what it means to us to be a worshipping community. And so as we anticipate that journey towards Jesus and his death and his resurrection, the theme of redemption is something I want to try and help us have a bigger vision of and be excited about and be passionate about what a wonderful word it is. And so we're taking the story of Ruth today. Neil's going to come and read to us Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Ruth 3, 1 to 13, page 269 of your few Bibles, if anybody wants to follow along. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not fight, try to find, you, find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do what you say, said Ruth. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you have showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do what you, I do all that you ask. When my fellow townsmen know that you are a, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am of near kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to redeem. Good, let him redeem, but if he is not willing, as surely as God lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. This is the word of God. We're going to continue our reading about Ruth. It's one of those love stories in the Bible, and uh, so much has happened before that, but uh, up to the first two chapters, they have come back from a famine situation. They're poor. Ruth meets Boaz, begins working in the fields. So he is a near relative. And so um, they have this incident of her sleeping at his feet and appealing to him as her kinsman redeemer. And now we read what happens next in Ruth chapter 4, page 269. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, 
Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the king's man redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I have also acquired Ruth the Moabites, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Amen. This is... God's word to all our hearts today. I've given this the title, Ruth's Redeemer, and I'm beginning with the question, who is Ruth's Redeemer? Obviously, in this story, it's Boaz. To redeem, in our language today, means to pay back. If you have a shopping voucher for five pounds and you spend 50 pounds and you redeem the five pound voucher, what happens? The total becomes 45. The voucher you redeemed buys back five pounds from your total, making it 45. To redeem, in some senses, means to buy back. To redeem also means pay off a debt. Most of us have had or have mortgages. There is a debt of what we still owe to the bank and we dream of the day when we can redeem the remaining debt to pay it off. In past years, if you needed money quickly, you would sell something valuable to a pawn shop. And when you were in a better financial position, you would go back and redeem what you had sold to them. They held it in trust for you and you have to pay a bit more to get it back, but you buy it back again, you redeem it. Our world still has elements of redemption language, but in the ancient world, redemption language was everywhere. In family transactions, in business transactions, every part of society had redemption language there. 
They didn't give out shopping vouchers as redeemers. People were redeemers. And redeemers operated in a world of poverty, in a world of death, and a world of slavery. And so many of Israel's laws focus on redemption uh, imagery. And so Leviticus 25 verse 25, if one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold. When Israel came into the promised land, they were allotted territory. But God put laws in place that meant that one tribe would not lose its property because of hard times by other tribes that had good crops and good harvests all the time. And so it was a requirement that the clans would look after themselves. They wouldn't sell land outside their clan. And so a kinsman, a near relative, had the responsibility if someone's property was for sale of buying it. But they always owned that property and that family had the right to come back and demand that property back so that it would always stay within the family. This was to protect future generations uh, of, of the land that they needed to grow crops. So we have this imagery of a nearest relative to come and redeem the property so that the land stays and is never lost from that family circle. That one family cannot forever grow rich at the expense of another. Um, the families still have the right to come back and look for their ancient property land again. Here is another law that I didn't put up, but it's, it's longer, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10. And if you read Deuteronomy 25, it's a law that when the brother of a deceased husband had to marry his widow, if he had no children, so that the brother would marry his sister-in-law and produce an heir for his deceased brother so that that heir would retain the property and the land um, that, that belonged to his deceased brother. And that person who, who did that was called a kinsman redeemer. There are various laws that sound strange to us and our ears, but they are to protect families who maybe go through hard times, that the, that the hard times are not forever that there is light at the end of the tunnel. So here's the story of Ruth. Begins with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who leaves Israel with her husband because of famine. And they go to Moab with their two sons. And their two sons marry two Moabite women. But her husband and her two sons die in Moab, and neither had any children. And after some years, Naomi returns, decides to come home to Israel with one of her two daughters who refuses to go back. And you know those famous uh, words in, in the beginning of, of that Ruth says to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So Ruth the Moabitess comes back away from her home into Israel with her mother-in-law. But they have nothing. Uh, they are poor. There's no family. There's no future. They, they, there's no land to grow crops here. It's been desolate for years. They have nothing to live by. They are utterly poor. And so Ruth starts to work in the harvest fields of Boaz around the edges of the harvest fields, which by Israelite law were not allowed to be harvested. They used, every farmer had to leave the outside of his fields for the poor to come along 
and harvest those. So she is going around the edges which have been left by the harvesters under Israelite law for the poor and the destitute to have food to live by. And she comes to the attention of this great landowner called Boaz. And he starts to get to know her a bit and she, he realizes that she's a great woman of faith and realizes that he is related to her mother-in-law. And he starts to show compassion on her. He tells the, his harvesters to leave more for her to gather. And so she comes back with what she's harvested in the grain. But then Naomi, the, the matchmaker, uh, begins to suggest that Boaz has shown you, Ruth, attention. So here's what I want you to do. And that's what we read there. Dress yourself up, go and lie at his feet. And so in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes from the sleeping of this harvest time and he is startled to find a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? He says, and she answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Boaz is astonished because symbolically she is making a proposal of marriage to him. And he explains that he could only accept her proposal if a closer kinsman redeemer declines to fulfill their kinsman redeemer duties. And so he is going to see to it the next day. So he goes to the city gates. That's the place where disputes and legal questions are dealt with in the ancient world. Anytime you read in the Bible about people meeting at the ancient gate, that's kind of your, your town courtroom scene where disputes are dealt with. And there he seeks out this closer kinsman redeemer to Ruth. In the presence of ten witnesses, he suggests to the man that he redeem the land Naomi's going to sell and the money will go to her uh, because she is poor. But thinking only the property is involved, the man agrees, but then Boaz drops the bombshell. If you're going to acquire the land, you've got to acquire Malon's, the deceased Malon's wife as your wife in order to maintain his name in the property. And when the man hears this, he says no, because it's going to risk his own financial obligations. And so the way is left open for Boaz, and it was sealed by the man removing his sandal and handling, handing it to Boaz, a symbol of his renunciation in favor of Boaz now taking his responsibility as kinsman redeemer. So here's a story of redemption language and how it operates in business transactions and family relationships um, that, that is important to us. Let me help you understand the meaning of redemption. There are three things that are important when you're trying to understand it. The first one is bondage. There is a bondage situation. There is a slavery. There's a poverty. There's something that someone is in that they're so desperate that they cannot get themselves out of it. And so what is needed in that situation is somebody from outside their situation, a redeemer, to come in and release them from bondage so that they can become free. And so that redeemer comes along and they have to pay a ransom price. Something is paid to release their, 
family member or the person from bondage so that they can become free. Everything begins in a bondage situation. So in Ruth's situation, what's her bondage? It's her, their poverty. They have no future because they have no children. And no one is going to marry a Moabitess. And so she has no prospects. And so as Naomi looks at Ruth, this is the end of their family clan. It's going to end here. They're going to die here and they're going to die in poverty. And then Boaz comes along as the kinsman redeemer and he is going to help them out of their bondage situation. And so he pays the ransom price to release them from bondage. And in this case, it's the amount to buy the property of Naomi's late husband according to the kinsman redeemer obligations and to marry Ruth as his wife. There is always a price involved because a redeemer is coming into a situation where those people are powerless. They cannot get themselves out of it, but there's a price that needs to be paid to get them out. But the redeemer is so wealthy, so rich, so generous that he will pay the price to to set them free. There is always a price involved. Ransom language survives today in a kidnapping situation. Their bondage situation is obvious. They are being held captive. They have been kidnapped and they are being ransomed. And the ransom price is the pay, is the price that is set for them to get their freedom. And so the one who pays the ransom price, according to ancient language, would be the redeemer that sets them free. Freedom is always the result of a redeemer's work. If Jesus is our redeemer, he is only our redeemer if we recognize that we were in a bondage situation and that we could not get ourselves out of it. Because if you could get yourselves out of it, you don't need a redeemer. You could have done it yourself. But he is a redeemer because you were powerless, because you were helpless, because you had no one else to turn to. The ancient world was full of redemption practices because they lived in a world where it was so easy to become destitute, enslaved, or poor. And so a common situation that happened over and over again was a family would borrow some money with the implication that when they grew their harvest the next season, they could sell some of it and repay the debt. That then the, the harvest failed. And the person that lent them the money calls in the debt. And so to pay off the debt, they may sell, sell one of their children into slavery, indentured slavery, or their whole family, or their whole family may offer themselves, or the father, whatever, the, depending how big the debt is, they will offer themselves to be slaves. And the person who buys them as slaves will then pay that money to pay off their debt. But if you had a rich cousin or a rich brother or family member who hears about the fact that you have been sold into slavery because of your debt, you'd appeal to them to come and be your redeemer, your kinsman redeemer, your family redeemer, your clan redeemer, to come and be your redeemer, to pay the price that is owed to set you free from slavery and to give you your freedom. God throughout the Bible takes these ancient cultural practices of redemption 
And he comes along and says, that is what I am to you. So there's the people of Israel down in Egypt as slaves. And they're crying out to God because the Egyptians are cruel taskmasters. And then God says to Moses to say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, people and I will be your God. So, in slaves in Egypt, God takes this redemption language and says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to set you free. And that you will be, what's the rewards of their freedom? You will be my own people and I will be your God. I'll no longer be distant from you. The freedom of being my people and I being your God again. So when Jesus stands up one day in his ministry, and he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that, that word filled the people who heard it with freedom language from slavery. That they recognized that they're in a bondage situation. There's a slavery there. They are suffering in some way under a heavy yoke. And that just like the Egyptians long ago in Egypt, they're crying out to God to help us to come into our world and save us and to set us free. And Jesus is saying, I have come to be that redeemer. I have come to be the one to answer from God your cries for freedom. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. There's always a price to be paid. And Jesus is saying, my life will be the ransom price. I'm not just a redeemer as a person who will pay some monetary amount. My life itself will set you free. I did not come to be served. Did not come to make you all bow down to me and worship me and do everything that I ask. I have come to help you in your brokenness, in your slavery, in your bondage. I have come to help you and my life will be the ransom price that is paid. So in Ephesians 1 and throughout many parts of the New Testament, they look back on Jesus' life as the price that is paid for our freedom. Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. His life, his death on the cross, the blood that was shed is the price, the ransom price by which we are set free. First Peter chapter 1, for it was not with gold or silver that you were set free, but by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter says, your redemption was not, as in property debates, uh, property transactions with gold or silver as the, as the ransom price, but you were ransomed, you were set free from your slavery to sin by the blood of Jesus. 
You were set free because you were already empty. There's nothing you had to trade. Your salvation could not be bought. You didn't have the resources. But Jesus, by giving his life, has reconciled you to the Almighty God. Our spiritual problem is that we do not realize and reckon how absolutely hopeless we are without Jesus and God in our lives. We look as if we are strong and healthy. We look as if we don't need God in our lives. We cannot realize that we are vulnerable. We are broken. We are in slavery to the God of this world. Jesus is our powerful redeemer. Sometimes if we look deeply in our lives, there is a bitterness that we carry with us to certain individuals and we won't let it go. Not bitterness is enslaving us, it's a bondage. There's chips that we carry because of the way life has worked out. There's a jealousy in our lives because of the way others' lives have gone and ours can't go. There's an unforgiveness in our lives. There's a yearning to be accepted by others and we will do anything to, 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 to have that acceptance on of us. There's an anxiety that weighs on so many hearts and a fearfulness. There are sexual struggles that nobody else knows about that eat away at us and we feel awful about and we give ourselves to and we try and turn from. There's an apathy towards God. There's a bondage in so many hearts here that is there if we look and we have tried to deal with it but we are unable because we cannot do it. And Jesus has come as our great redeemer that by his life, As the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he has paid the price that we deserve for our sins against God. And therefore, we are set free. We are forgiven. The slate is clean. God has wiped it clean. Therefore, the past has gone. So why do you keep hanging on to it? Why do you keep hanging on to the bondage situation when God's not looking at it? He's looking at your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and that frees you to be his child with a clear conscience and with a clear heart. We need a redeemer and Jesus is that redeemer. And so behind this facade that many of us wear, even us as ministers, allow Jesus to do his healing work to set you free. How does that happen? You just acknowledge, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need you to help me in this situation. I need you to help me stop dwelling on the past. I need that past to stop eating away at me. Take it away, Lord. Set me free from it. Allow me to lavish in the love that you have for me as your child. Enjoy the redemption that Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection, blesses your life with. Who is Ruth's redeemer. Well, in our reading, it's Boaz. He gives her a life, a future, and a family. He buys her out of her poverty. He purchases the inherited family land of Naomi, but he also pledges to marry Ruth according to the ancient tradition. And by this, Ruth gets a husband, a family, and a future. Naomi gets income and security, and the land stays within the family line. 
Boaz is their redeemer, but the praise, if you read it again, goes to God. Naomi praises the Lord for leading them to Boaz. Ruth praises the Lord for her kinsman, redeemer, Boaz. And Boaz praises the Lord for Ruth in his life. They praise God because ultimately he is the originator of all redemption. Who is Ruth's redeemer? It's God. It's Jesus. Ruth and, Ruth and Boaz, the Moabite, would have a son called Obed. Obed would have a son called Jesse. And Jesse would be the father of King David of Israel. And the family line would continue until Joseph marries Mary. And into that family line was born in Bethlehem the city of David, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Savior of the world. Who is Ruth's Redeemer? It's Jesus, who she and her family will produce, who is our Savior today. If you want to be freed, you've got to admit you're empty. That's where it starts with. You've got to admit you are so enslaved, you're so powerless that you have nothing to turn to. You're in a bondage and you need redemption. The question is, how desperate are you? If you feel like a Ruth today that life is hopeless, Jesus is your redeemer. He sets you free from hopelessness and gives you a purpose-driven life because he is your Lord and King. His cross has defeated that great enemy, so all of life is full of resurrection hope. If you feel like a slave in Egypt, Jesus is your redeemer. He sets you free from whatever strongholds have enslaved you. His cross is the means of that forgiveness. Accept his forgiveness and bask in the glory that you are forgiven. And if you feel empty and weak and powerless, that is good. Because Jesus is your great redeemer. Because he is the Lord of heaven and earth. God has always been the one who answers the cry for his redeeming help. So Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Whatever situation was his mud and mire situation. And he set me, my feet on a rock and he's given me a firm place to stand. And he's put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Because I'm praising God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord because I'm telling them what he's done for me. Let us pray. Our Father, may these theological words breathe life into our worshipping hearts today that Jesus as our Redeemer sets us free because by his life on the death on the cross he has paid that ransom price for our bondage and our spiritual slavery to sin uh, that, that has bound us and feeds us with guilt and now we are free, forgiven we are your children, help us to live today Lord, worshipping you that because Jesus is our saviour and redeemer we are free 
to worship you, to follow you. Bless us with your presence in these uncertain days and may our lives, Lord, be a light shining in a world of uncertainty because of our joy in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.